Hello, my name is Emily Jansen, and this is the Leadership is Female podcast. We interview women in the sports and entertainment businesses to teach you the tips and the mindset that will get you to the top faster. Marion Wright Edelman said, you can't be what you can't see. Let's bring visibility to women who are crushing it in their roles. Join us week after week, season after season, as we reach back to extend a hand to pull you forward. We will lead you forward because leadership is female. Katie Woods is a veteran sports executive with experience leading successful minor league baseball teams across the country since 2009. She served as assistant general manager of both the Everett Aquasox and the Lancaster Jethawks and has spent several years as a consultant focused primarily on marketing and brand with organizations both in and outside the sports industry. Named Female Executive of the Year in the California League in 2019, as well as both 2013 and 2015 in the Northwest League, Katie is passionate about creating top-tier fan experiences, building successful front offices, and helping teams connect with their communities in impactful ways. A native of Bellingham, Washington, Katie now lives in Wichita, Kansas with her husband and two young daughters and serves as the tournament director for the National Baseball Congress World Series, the first woman to do this in the series history. So without further ado, let's hear from Katie. Let's go. Welcome to the Leadership is Female podcast, Katie Woods. She is the tournament director of the NBC World Series and the marketing director for the Wichita Sports Commission. Katie and I have known each other for a lot of years uh, in minor league baseball, and I am so excited to have you on the podcast today to share your story and your knowledge with our audience. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, so I'm Katie Woods. I'm the Director of Marketing for the Wichita Sports Commission and then also Tournament Director for the NBC World Series, which has been played in Wichita since 1935. And I really want to talk about your path to getting here. We've known each other for a lot of years, but as always, I learn a few things when I'm doing some research in these interviews. And I want to talk about how you got to where you are today, because I think there's there's not many of us anymore that have like a straight shot to you know, the final destination. There's a, there's a lot of ebbs and flows. So let's go back to when you started college. Did you envision yourself working as a baseball executive? I didn't. I loved sports. My dad uh, coached high school basketball when I was growing up, and then now he coaches uh, college basketball. And so I grew up around sports. I thought that was great, but I didn't think there was a path for me to necessarily work in it. So I was one of those college students who changed my major probably four times. I was business law. I was, um, oh gosh, I don't even know what else. And then I was business communication and I took a PR class and went, this is really cool. I love this part of it. Um, being able to kind of communicate what I'm looking at. Um, and then did some internships through that for events. And that was when I started to get into, oh, this is a job, you know, before it was sports, I did uh, an internship for a PR firm in LA and I got to be on the PR team for the Star Wars Celebration 4, which had, I think, 35,000 Star Wars fans from around the world converge in one place. Um, and I got to see so many people just passionate about what they loved, celebrating that together, and then got to see the back end of, like, someone's making this event happen. So that was when I started to kind of, like, the light bulb started to go on, like, this is what I'm passionate about and want to do. And then I got an internship with the Houston Astros in their community 
relations department. And that was my first foray into making sports a career. Yeah, you started off with three internships. So for the audience who's beginning their career and maybe feeling a little bit impatient, what do you feel like taking three internships did for your journey and helped you to jumpstart your career? I think for me, it was the exposure was a huge part of it, just to kind of like learn what these industries are like, what I liked, what I didn't like, to make those connections, the networking, um, to go, you know, from one event, and then someone would see me intern and say, hey, are you available to help with this other event? And then the Astros, I mean, that just seemed so cool, like who gets to do this? And I really loved it. I learned so much from um, all of the full-time staff there. And I also kind of realized that I, I liked it a lot, but it was more um, pigeonholed when you work in, in major league sports. I was community relations and I did exactly community relations. And I wasn't sure what my full-time would be. And so I graduated and then did one more internship, which was the Frisco Rough Riders. So that was my first foray into minor league baseball, which I knew nothing about. I had no idea what minor league baseball was and I loved it because I got to do everything. You know, it was like, Hey, can you help over here? Can you help with the ticketing system over here? Hey, can you help with this marketing thing? Hey, can you go throw t-shirts? Hey, you know, I mean, just everything. And I loved that and getting to see the whole operation and be a part of it. So that was kind of where I really fell in love with, with minor league baseball. Yeah. Which led to your first real full-time employer, which was the Everett Aqua Sox. Love that. Love these names and MILB. So you stayed there for six years Mm -hmm. from beginning as the community relations manager and ending as the assistant general manager. What was the highest high and the lowest low of that experience? Yeah. So the Aqua Sox were a minor league affiliate of the Mariners and I was from Washington. And so um, I'd I'd applied for jobs and I'd, I'd kind of had a couple offered that weren't the right fit and they're just wasn't a lot that wasn't sales. And I thought I didn't want to do full-time sales. So community relations an hour away from my hometown was like just meant to be. So I think for me, the the low was just starting and trying to find your place. I remember, you know, I had a a boss that was uh, turned out to be a fantastic boss, but just a serious guy, not a real complimenting, you're doing great job. And I didn't know what I was doing and I was still trying to figure it out and didn't necessarily have that confidence to really, or that vision of my path. And I remember I called my dad and he's a basketball coach. So he gives great advice. And I remember calling him, you know, probably like a month or two into the job and be like, I know what you're going to say, but can I quit? And my dad was like, no, you can't quit. And I'm like, I don't know if my boss likes me, you know, here's all these things and I'm feeling this way. And he goes, you got to remember, it's not about you sometimes. And I was like, well, that's harsh, but true. And it was this reminder, he said, you don't know what the people above you are are handling, what they're dealing with, what they're getting from their bosses, you know, so you need to be able to step back and say, you know, if you need something, you can go and talk to your boss about it. But you also need to remember that just because you're not getting a weekly meeting or you're not getting, you know, the positive reinforcement you think you need, it may not be about you and they don't realize that. And so that is something that I carried with me my whole career when I get frustrated, uh, just that, okay. Let's step back and see if this is really about me. And so I think that was my low. And then I really started to kind of like pick up steam and momentum and and take on more and more. And my highlight from working for the Aqua Sox is we hosted the Northwest League All-Star Game in 2013. And I got to have a big role in putting that together and the operations. And I just learned so much about 
having great partners and what they could do. We worked at the Tulalip Casino, which was this great casino partner. The Mariners were great partners for us. And we got to create this event that was amazing for fans and for players. And it just helped me realize even more, you know, what the potential was for us to, for us to do and for me to do in my career. Yeah. Well, first of all, how lucky are you that you've a coach for a dad? Because mm-hmm. you talk a lot about the importance of leaders elevating their staff and the people around them and those mentors, both men and women in their lives. And I know that the GM in Everett was uh, someone that was pretty influential in your life. What were some of the opportunities that he had given you during your time there that helped you to excel in your role and grow in your career? Yeah. I mean, I think throughout working in Everett for him for seven seasons or six seasons, I really kind of, we learned this balance of he's a serious business guy. And I was this like fun, energetic, let's do all these crazy promotions. And it ended up being this great balance because there were certain times I probably needed to be reined in. And then there were other times where he needed to be pushed to do more fun. And so we developed this great relationship. And a lot of it was he kept putting me in situations to be successful. So sending me to the winter meetings or sending me to a promo seminar bringing in sales trainers for our staff, you know, to give us those opportunities to network and to grow, to learn. And then one of the biggest things for me is, you know, I had my first daughter when I was AGM there and I had to go in and say, I'm, I'm pregnant. And I don't know what that looks like in this organization because they've never had someone have, you know, a woman have a baby. And so there was no maternity leave policy in place. And he went to bat for me and went to ownership and said, okay, what do we do? You know, she's been here six years. How do we make this work for her so that she can come back and and be a part of this organization? And so, I mean, that's something that was really influential in me being able to continue a career in sports. Yeah. I, uh, I love that story and it's just, it's still surprising because your daughter is only in second grade. It's not like she's 30 years old, you know? Yep. So the, the fact that that was so recent, but there hadn't been uh, a lot of women uh, with longevity and minor league baseball that were having babies and, and having a policy to support them. So that that's huge for your career. And, you know, you helped lay that groundwork and also create visibility around as crazy as it sounds, women having babies uh, while working in sports. And it's, I've had women in minor league baseball come up to me afterwards, you know, who are really at the beginning of their career and say, I don't know if minor league baseball is for me because my team doesn't have a maternity leave policy. And I don't want to wait until I'm pregnant to find out what it would be, what it would look like. And I'm not at a position in my career where I feel I can make that ask. And so I think that's, you know, more and more teams are, are setting that, which is great. But the teams that don't have it, I think it's so important to keep your staff and to know that, make them feel like they've got a long-term future with you. Yeah, absolutely. And you did decide to move on from Everett to Lancaster. And this time you combined your experience into the role of director of marketing and community relations. And this was in 2015. You left after a year and a half and you took a role in marketing for Mm -hmm. three years, then came back. So when you got called back into sports. 
Like, how did you get back in? How did you make that decision? Was the second time a charm sort of walk us through what that looked like to leave? And then, you know, you didn't leave for a couple of months, you left for three years and had this, this big set of experiences and then returned to the team. Yeah. For me, it was, I think I just got burnt out, you know, that minor league baseball, small staff hustle, work so hard every night, every weekend. And I hadn't gotten to the point where I realized that uh, I could say no sometimes, or that I could ask for help or that there could be a balance. Um, And I just burnt out. And so there was an opportunity for my husband to move to Dallas for work. And I went, great, this is the time, let's do it. And went and had my second daughter and then was working for a, a marketing consultant firm, basically, where I was a virtual assistant and I got to have, uh, I think I had four different clients and it was so great for me because I got to get out of the industry and look at things from a totally different perspective. And I worked with a lot of other virtual assistants who were really, really talented, like email marketing or SEO or PR. And I learned so much from them and all these things that I'm like, if I was back in baseball, I would do this. I would take this with me. You know, the things that they were talking about with email segmentation was so different than what teams were doing, where it was like, just blast out as much as possible to as many people as possible over and over and over again. And so I was just like, oh, this makes so much sense. And so having that break and and really learning from them was huge. And then the GM for the Jethawks left. And so my boss from the Aqua Sox was now the president or the vice president in um, Lancaster. And so I reached out and I said, you have an opening. I want it. How do we make this happen? And so I went back as the AGM and it was great. Like I think just combining the experience I'd had that kind of break to refresh myself and my passion for baseball. And then this new experience, I just felt like it was just the right time and the right staff. And it was great. Yeah. And then, you know, following that return, you had a really good run there where you onboarded some really important programming, including COPA. I know you and I, that's sort of how we got to know each other, exchanging emails about that program. But, you know, a couple of years later, there was a contraction in minor league baseball and Lancaster was was one of those teams. And you had to uproot yourself and re-examine your future. What was that like to be, I w- I was I was a part of it in that I was in minor league baseball at the time and feeling these waves of emotion from all of these teams and and seeing sort of the league contract and not knowing what that meant for the future of my friends and where they were going to go and and the league. And anyway, what was it like to be in it and to be, you know, leading one of those teams that uh, was not carried forward into the future? Yeah, it was, uh, it was just such an interesting, we had this amazing 2019, I think our attendance went up 11%. We started the COPA program every Friday night and had awesome success with that. I think it was like 30% uh, attendance growth on Fridays. We just felt like we had all these programs, we had all this momentum, things were going to be great. And then in the fall of 19, there was this list that came out of here's these teams that are up for potential contraction. So We knew, but then it was, hey, we really think, you know, we've got all this great stuff going. We'll be able to kind of push through. And then the pandemic hit and everything changed for everybody. And that, you know, fell so far off people's priority list and and just awareness what was happening. And I think the hardest thing from the team side was we didn't get to have that farewell season. 
and that opportunity for the community to celebrate and to really kind of just celebrate Jethawks baseball, you know, for one more year and give people that opportunity for closure. And so we were, um, I like to say we were uh, team 121. So there ended up being 120 teams in, but when they announced the list, they announced 119. And then it was going to be either Lancaster or Fresno because they still had, hadn't figured out what was happening with Fresno, their city, the lease, all kinds of things. And so we waited a couple more days, um, knowing that Fresno was probably going to be team 120, but not sure. And um, it was just a really, yeah, that, that roller coaster of emotions, like you talked about for us. And then it was this kind of reexamining for me, like my whole career is is baseball, minor league baseball. We moved to Lancaster for minor league baseball. We bought a house, we're settled, we're good to go. Now we gotta start over. And so do I wanna move for minor league baseball? Do I wanna try something different? But I knew, you know, baseball and sports is what I'm passionate about. So then it was interviewing with teams and finding out, you know, where the opportunities were. And um, I ended up in Wichita, Kansas, um, a city I had never been to until the day before I started my job. Oh, Katie, I, I just, I have to take a second to just recognize all that you said there and all that you went through in your career. And th- this wasn't early in your career. You've had years and years of experience working and and had the rug pulled out from under you in Lancaster. And you thought you were in your, your dream job and it ended. And the lesson I really want to reiterate here is that this was a probably really hard, dark time for you in your career, but look where you are today and just a very short time later. And so for all of our listeners, you know, it might feel like the darkest day of your career, but there truly is the next. And, you know, for Katie, you found that in, in Wichita and and now where you are today, which we're, we're going to talk about, but before we move on to, to your role as tournament director and how historic that is a little bit more on Wichita and some of the circumstances surrounding the team and what happened when you landed there and the pandemic and minor league baseball, Wichita was, so I, I um, Wichita was supposed to be in AAA baseball, and with their move from New Orleans, uh, they were originally part of the Pacific Coast League. So I attended you know, so many meetings with these guys, and the excitement around the ballpark opening in Wichita, um, I'll never forget Lou standing in front of the room, just literally jumping out of his shoes telling us that it was going to be the greatest ballpark in all the land. It was, it was contagious um, how excited he was about that project and about that team and and the new beginnings and the success that was going to be in the future. And the pandemic hit and it also brought uh, devastation. Lou passed away and I, that is, it was just so sad. His family was tied up in the team. He, um, you know, we, we lost Lou during COVID. And then the next year, the ballpark had to reopen um, after an, the death of the owner, mm-hmm. recovering from a pandemic, opening in a new city. Katie, tell me a little bit about what that was like, you know, being a part of the team after all of these things transpired. 
If you are listening to this podcast, I know you are a busy professional. We can agree we are always looking for products that are convenient and make life easier. Mobot water bottles are one of these products. It's a water bottle and a foam roller in one. I use the water bottle at the gym, staying hydrated in boot camp and then flipping the bottle on its side at the end of class to quickly foam roll my legs. It helps with recovery and gets me back to work faster. Get yours at mobot.com and use the code leadershipisfemale, all one word, to get 15% off. Support Lonnie Cooper, the female founder of this product, and support yourself. This is a must-have wellness water bottle. At Leadership is Female, we are serious about supporting you in your career. That includes the tips to get you ahead inside your current organization or provide you with the next big opportunity in a new role. That's why we have partnered with Legacy Search, an executive recruiting firm specializing in mid to senior level executive searches across professional, collegiate, and minor league sports. Check out the openings listed at LegacySportsSearch.com or in our monthly Leadership is Female newsletter. Hint, if you have not signed up for the newsletter, head to leadershipisfemale.com. If you find a job listed at Legacy Sports Search that looks like it should be yours, email us at leadershipisfemale at gmail.com and we will introduce you directly to the opportunity. This is your career. Make the most of it. You have heard so many of the professionals on this podcast talk about the importance that a mentor has made in their career. I've had so many listeners reach out to me to ask me about mentorship. The problem is mentors don't grow on trees. I'm working with my company, The Assist Group, to, well, provide the assist. We're going to form a mentorship cohort so that we can make sure you find the mentor you need to help your career grow. Make sure you're on the list to get all the details when they drop later this year. Visit theassistgroupwins.com to join the waitlist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so I um, started in March of 21 and uh, they had an exhibition game in April. I think I started like a month before this exhibition game. And it was just such a, an interesting situation to come into that, you know, Lou was the reason there was baseball in Wichita. Lou had all these dreams and all this vision. And I never worked with Lou, but you got there and he never got to see a game. You know, he never got to see that vision. And so there was very much, especially from the staff who had worked with him and it helped build it was we're doing this for Lou and we're going to fulfill this vision the best we can. And then you had, you know, people like me coming in late, uh, trying to pull wherever we could pull. We had staff that had left. There was just kind of all this transition. And then I remember the day before tickets went on sale for the exhibition game, we got approval to go from, I think it was going to be like 30% capacity to 95% capacity the day before tickets went on sale. So we ended up running the first event in the ballpark a month after that with, you know, 7,000 people in the stadium that had never been, there was no soft open. (laughs) There was no trial run. It was just go. And, um, you know, one of the things I love about minor league baseball is you make so many friends through the fire that kind of, you make those connections of people that, that you just put your head down and go, we are going to make this happen come hell or high water. And that's what we did. And it was pretty amazing to be a part of that. I can only imagine what it was like to open those gates and, and honor the man that brought the team there and celebrate sort of the end of the pandemic, at least, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, of outdoor sports and inviting Mm -hmm. people to come back together. 
Oh boy, what a what a roller coaster ride that that must have been. And I, I think about Lou whenever I think about minor league baseball and hope to embody his spirit and his excitement um, for the game. But you left uh, Wichita and now you're the tournament director for the National Baseball Congress World Series, making you the first woman to hold that role in the tournament's 88 years of existence. So first of all, congratulations. Let's hear it for the glass ceiling breakers. I'm so happy and excited for you to have that role and represent women in that way. And your responsibility is to bring that tournament um, to a new level, to, to a new life. So did you feel any sense of intimidation with the byline first woman in that role? And what attracted you to the role in the first place? I, I mean, it's definitely something that's talked about, but I didn't feel any intimidation. It's just sometimes you kind of go, okay, how are other people going to receive this? right? What's the pushback or is there going to be buy-in because of that? But I knew I could do the job. It was really a great opportunity for me because it fits so much of what I already did and what I was passionate about, but it was also all these kind of new challenges and things I hadn't done before, but I knew were within my reach. So my responsibilities are everything from recruiting uh, teams and leagues to affiliate with the NBC from across the country to recruiting umpires, making sure we have the um, scorekeeping, you know, all these things between the lines that I had never really had to do before, but then also making it a Wichita event and getting fans in the ballpark and working with ticketing and working with our venue, rebranding this year. I mean, it's really been everything all the way around. And so it's been a really, really fun challenge. Yeah. You're in some ways starting from scratch, but preserving the legacy of this historic uh, baseball tournament. You told me a cool story about its its origin before we hit record. Will you uh, talk to the audience about how this whole thing started? Yeah. So in 1935, uh, Hap Dumont started the NBC World Series. And the first World Series, he got Satchel Page to come out and play. And paid him a thousand bucks, but the story is that he didn't have the thousand bucks. He had to get enough people to come out and then, and make it this event. And so while the focus was baseball, it was really promotion and marketing from the start. And he got enough people to come out and paid him his thousand dollars. And there's this history now of the NBC of it's always been baseball. I think there's something like 800 former uh, or 800 major leaguers played in the NBC or in an NBC affiliated league. And you have all these famous players from across eras. I actually went to ABCA in Nashville, the American Baseball Coaches Association Conference in January. And I had so many people that just stopped by and said, I played uh, in 1996. I was with the Clarinda A's. I was with, I mean, just everyone has these connections and stories to the NBC because it's been around so long. So it's been really fun to examine that baseball history. But like you said, really kind of reinvent it for 2023 and and moving forward. Yeah, this is a, it's a huge project to take on and and a huge role. How much do you think your self-confidence played into you winning this role? There was definitely part of it because I said, this is, this is the role for me. And I went to our president um, at before this was my role and said, I think that I can do this. And here's all the reasons I think, and here's what, where we need to go and I see the vision. And so being able to have the confidence to go say that and ask 
And worst case, he was going to say no, and that's fine. But to be at that point where I can and verbalize, this is what I want, and this is why it would be great, and this is why I can make this great for Wichita, I think really played into it. Yeah. Earlier in the interview, you said sometimes it's not about you. And that's advice that's kind of stuck with you along with it's, it's not personal. Mm -hmm. So potentially having that in your back pocket, like I'm going to pitch myself. If this doesn't work out, it's not personal. Maybe it's not about me. You know, what are your thoughts around that mindset and how do you, it's difficult to maintain. How do you maintain that mindset? You know, I think that was, I always used to think I'm from when I started, I'm not good at sales because I didn't want to pick up the phone and make 50 calls a day. And I realized I'm actually great at sales when it's something that I believe in, but I don't like transactional sales. I want it to be relationship-based. And so for me to know and have that confidence of, I believe in the product uh, makes it where I have the confidence to, if they say no, that's okay, but I believe in what I'm pitching and what I'm selling. And whether that's myself or whether that's a community program or whether that's, you know, marketing, it's, it's that belief in what I'm doing. And I think it's been throughout my career, but later in my career that I've really kind of had that confidence to say, I believe in, I have to believe in how we treat people, what we're doing, what our vision is, because that's, what's going to make me good at my job. If we're not in that place, then I can't pitch it. You know, I can't be a part of it. Um, and that's really helped me, I think, be better, both just as a, a worker and also as a leader, too. Yeah. And earlier in our conversation, you talked about how in minor league baseball, that that was your your roots and you get to do it all. You get to sort of work in a lot of different areas, learn a lot about the business and that helped you to develop this willingness to get it done. Mm -hmm. So do you think it's something you were born with, or do you think it was honed through your experiences? Obviously that's helped you to secure this role and now, you know, get the job done with, with the list of things you said are on your plate to accomplish before uh, this August tournament. I think it's a little bit of both, but I really think growing up around that coach's mentality, I really want to be proud of what the product I put out, what I put out on the field or, or in our events. And I grew up watching my dad, you know, I helped do laundry for the teams and we would host teams for the Super Bowl party. And we would do all these kind of extra things because that's just what you do, you know? And I think that that's uh, something that's probably born with a little bit, but you just kind of go, I want to be proud of what I'm putting out there. I want it to be something where I can say I gave my all. And so that's what I go into every event thinking. Yeah. And I think you attract what you are. So these roles have been a natural fit for you because of, of the person that you are and your willingness to, to get it done. And one of the things that you're also fantastic at is networking and asking for help or shared expertise. Can you tell us about how that's benefited your career? Mm -hmm. I love that kind of idea of there's always somebody that's going to be better at something than you. And there's always somebody that's going to be smarter than you and not taking that as a, um, again, it's not about me, right? So that's not saying anything about me. It's that these people are so good at what they do. And so when I was 
at a place in my career earlier on, I would reach out to teams that were doing really cool things and just ask, like, how are you doing this? How are you making this event happen? Why does your website look so great? How did you make this page? Um, or just to compliment people and say, I love the social media that you guys are doing. Like, it's funny and engaging and awesome. And I made so many good connections that way with people. People want to be asked, you know, about their expertise. They want to be able to share that expertise. And so I think that's a huge thing when it comes to networking is just being genuine about it. Yeah. What does that look like for you today? Now that you're in a bit of a new arena, Mm -hmm. how do you establish that network and find the, those, those people to lean on for best practices or assistance? You know, I think coming into it, a lot of it is just being willing to say, I don't know. There's people who've been around the NBC for 30 years. And so whether that's managers or whether that's fans or partners, and for me to say, well, tell me about that. What did that look like for you? What, what do you think the NBC needs to bring back? What do you think I never need to bring back ever again? And to get that expertise because they have it and I don't. And then I still have so many great minor league baseball connections or people who were in minor league baseball where I can say, hey, who's that shirt vendor? Because I haven't done a lot with merchandise. Who did you use for that? Or tell me then how you did that promotion and and be able to bring those pieces in. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Well, aside from tackling huge career goals, you have two young girls. What logistics play into working major events and raising your daughters? And do you have any advice that you can share on the topic of having a very full life? Yeah, I think for me, a couple of things. One is um, I really had to come to that realization that I have to be okay with whatever's best for me and whatever works for me, because you'll have some people who, you know, question those decisions about where you're spending your time. And I just had to know what was right for me. And another huge part for me is having the right partner. You know, my husband is a fantastic supporter of me in everything I do. And he, during baseball season, is the primary parent. You know, he's the one that's picking up and dropping off and dealing with sick kids and making sure they are where they need to be and making dinner and doing all that. And he he does all of that um, because that's that's part of the partnership, right? And so that's so important. And then Jenna Burns from Oklahoma City, when I asked her once, you know, okay, how do you do this? Like logistically, parenting, all of this. And I just remember she said, it takes a village and sometimes you're gonna pay for your village. <laughs> and so I love that because sometimes it's, you know, you know, there's friends and there's family and there's all these things. And then sometimes it's like, you know, I'm just gonna have to pay extra for the after school care, or I'm gonna have to have a babysitter, or I'm gonna have to pay someone to come in and clean once a month or once a week so that my, you know, husband doesn't go crazy during baseball season while I'm doing all this. And so it's just about making it work and what works best for you. Oh, I love Jenna. She's such a straight shooter. That is (laughs) absolutely something she would say. I think she said similar to me and it took off this pressure, right? Cause I'm like, all right, work, kids. Oh, my house needs to be cleaned. I have to buy all the groceries. I have to do all these things, you know, divide myself in half to be in two places at once. And it's okay to pay for help, right? Like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're, you're spending all this time at work to earn money and you're choosing to spend your time there. So um, you're going to have to use some of those resources to support those other areas of your life. And I don't know, maybe it's, part, like the way we were raised with, with our moms and, you know, the examples they set, but, um, but the modern woman, you know, 
just Venmo some people and yeah, get, get that shit done. <laughs> get those groceries delivered. That's okay sometimes. <sighs> exactly. All right. So you chose to stay in Wichita. Mm-hmm. You uh, you're not from there. Um, it's it's a whole new spot uh, on the map for you and your family. Why did you choose to stay? What do you love about that city? Enlighten us about Wichita, Kansas. The first thing was the people. I made such good friends and such good connections kind of right off the bat. Like I just felt like I had a support system from the start in Wichita. Um, And then it's just this great, small, big city. I think it's the, I'm going to get this wrong, 49th or 50th largest city in the country, but it has such a small town feel. And that just means that there's so many resources that feel like they're in within reach. You know, if I want to set up a meeting with somebody, a CEO, I can make that connection. There's these great, um, these great business groups and great uh, innovation. And Wichita State has a fantastic college campus and tons of innovation going on through that. And it just felt like this place where where I could succeed, you know, and where I would have this support to do things like take this NBC tournament and run with it and have a big support system behind me from the community because Wichita is really proud of Wichita and, and it's fun to be a part of it. That's cool. Awesome. Well, we got to ask about the food too. What's, yes. what's the cuisine like? So much good food. I really wasn't sure. I, to be honest, I've never been here before and I had no idea. And there's so many great local restaurants and it's also this very walkable, like where we we live, I can walk to um, a coffee shop, I can walk to a sports bar, I can walk to a wine bar, I can walk to a French restaurant, like there's all these things uh, in Wichita, but a lot of great local food. Oh, sounds fantastic. You it could, is. Do you work for the sports commission there? I'm just, you know... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I was saying to somebody, you know, I was, I was like the Pied Piper of Wichita after I moved yeah. here. So like, did you know there's the seventh largest zoo in the country is in Wichita? And have you seen the botanical gardens? I mean, like there's just so much stuff. And I think I didn't expect it coming in. And so it's been fantastic. Oh, I love that. It's, it's great when you find the right place for you and, and for your family. And um, that's, that's awesome. Okay. So final four questions. One hard hitter, three softballs. What is your top piece of advice for women to apply today to level up tomorrow? I think it's the, uh, the don't be afraid to ask for help, but don't be afraid to go for it. I always thought you had to have 100% of the experience before you applied for a job. And so I'd see these things and go, oh, I don't know if I have strong enough sales experience, or I don't know if I, and I just ignored all the things that I brought to the table that weren't on that list. And so I think, don't wait, just go for it. The worst they can say is no, but you're going to learn through that process. And so I think that's the biggest thing. Where are you traveling to next? I'm going to Los Angeles next, which I'm excited uh, to go back to LA. I always love a little sun and beach and uh, I'm not going to see Dodgers baseball this time, but anytime I can get back to LA, I love it. What is your walk-up song? Uh, Here comes the hot stepper is my walk-up song. All right. I haven't heard that one yet on here. It's a, uh, yeah, like a good nineties classic upbeat and fun. And it just makes you want to, makes you want to dance or hit a home run. It's playing in my head. currently. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what is your favorite quote? 
So I love the quote. Uh, it's a little long, so I'll do the whole, but from Hunter S. Thompson, where it says, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely, but rather skid in broadside and a cloud of smoke proclaiming what a ride. And I think about that a lot with baseball and sports. And I love doing what I do and being passionate and just doing amazing events with fun people. And if I'm excited about it and passionate about it, then I think that translates to everybody. Oh, well, it's been such a pleasure catching up with you today on the Leadership is Female podcast. And I'm just so happy for you and where you've landed, breaking glass ceilings and creating a beautiful life for you and your family in Wichita. Katie Woods, everybody. Thanks. With that, let's get into the top four takeaways. Number one, it's important for leaders to elevate their staff and put them in positions to grow and be successful. Katie's GM and Everett gave her opportunities to network and grow, including winter meetings, attendance, the promo seminar, sales trainings, etc., and also advocated for her when she was pregnant with her first daughter at a team who did not have an existing maternity leave policy. Use this as an example of how to advocate for staff when you are in a leadership position. Number two, be prepared for a challenge. Decisions about life and career and being prepared for things to always be changing in your life and career, even when you're settled into what you think is your quote unquote dream job. Number three, it's not personal. Being able to step back and see the other person's perspective is a valuable skill. In a work situation, don't take a lack of response, a negative response, or a lack of support from a person as a personal slight. And number four, Networking and asking for help and expertise is a valuable skill. Some of the best connections and friends in the industry have been from essentially cold calling these people because they are doing something great. Have the desire to want to learn from people in your network. Be curious. Thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Time is your most precious resource, and it means the world that you spent it with us. Please help us reach more people who need to hear these interviews by hitting the subscribe button and the five-star rating on your iPhone. Do you know someone who could benefit from this interview? Please share it. Take a screenshot and post your Instagram stories, copy the link and share on LinkedIn, or text that link to your colleague. The Leadership is Female podcast exists to showcase female leadership in sports and entertainment and give you the tips to level up. We will extend a hand back to lead you forward. Extend the same hand by sharing this with someone who needs to hear it. One last thing. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at leadership is female. Now take this lesson and run. Let's go. This podcast was recorded and edited by Emily Jansen, public relations by Paige Hegedus and distributed by Anchor FM.